change is coming. You are gonna change today for better, for worse. And I'm actually today in a place where people used to often come to reflect about their life and how they needed to change. This is a cemetery and I was just driving past it and I thought I'd like to film one for here and just consider because life goes by so quickly and it uh, ends in a way that often we just don't spend much time thinking about. So being here and reflecting on the significance of your life and the brevity of your life and how character is what matters more than anything else. The main thing God gets out of your life is the person that you become. Everything else will be left here. But who you are, your character is what you will take in to eternity with you. So we're asking God to help us with that. And the quality that we're thinking about today is I, I'm looking around just to make sure I'm not interrupting anything here and I don't get kicked out. Quality we're thinking about today is fairness. You have been the victim or you have seen other people to be the victim of favoritism in families that can be so incredibly destructive in the workplace uh, to be on a team in a classroom, somebody who is teacher's pet, it's the old language for it, to feel like a person, particularly somebody who has power or privilege, abuses it in order to get what they want. Injustice, unfairness strikes so deeply at us. Uh, there's lots and lots of difficulty for us as a nation right now because people are not sure, are things fair here? Is there a double-tier justice system? People of every political persuasion concerned about that. Trying to get into a college, um, will affirmative action help bring more justice to that or does it take away justice? What about legacy admissions just because people had family members and went there before they got money? We have a real hard time with justice and favoritism. So what I want to do now in talking about what a good thing that is, is to mention a good friend of mine and Nancy. Her name is Grace. We worked together for many years. She headed up uh, HR at a church where I served. And the amazing thing about Grace was that she was incredibly honest and fair to everybody. And she did it with amazing courage. I remember getting an email from her one time where she was assessing folks who were on the leadership team, I don't know, five or six people. And in two brutally frank sentences, she said about everybody, what you would most, the truth that you most don't want to hear about yourself. Um, she would lay that out there. And, uh, and I thought, man, she could do that with me. And she did. She would tell me the truth about me until there was just blood all over the floor. And I was pretty sure that it was mine. But then she did it with great compassion. And she would say, but you know what? I have just the same problem. She would often talk to me about the danger of favorites. And people are looking at you because I was in a position of leadership there. And they will see when you play favorites. And you do. But I got the same problem, she would say. Now, God, and this is a real hard thing for people to come to grips with about God. God is a God who does not show favoritism. And I want to take most of the rest of this time to walk through a primary theme of the Bible and then just get to what does that mean for you and me today? What does it mean for you to be a person who is deeply fair, who treats the people in your life um, as meriting equal worth, equal respect, equal value, no matter what they look like, um, how wealthy or successful or attractive they might appear to be? How do you do at that? Now, a theme in the Bible relates to a very important structure in the ancient world, which was the right of the firstborn. The old language for it is the law of primogenitor. And the idea was, 
in ancient agrarian economies in order to make sure that land would stay together, that there would be some kind of stability to um, how life went, to its financial systems when there was no um, support system, no social security, no structures like we know them today. Um, the firstborn was understood to be favored. In many cultures, that meant they would get a double portion of an inheritance. The land would basically go to them. And this is a backdrop for a really interesting theme that would scream to readers of the Old Testament. We tend not to see it as much because we don't uh, view it from the same eyes. But they, they lived in the ancient Near East where the right of the firstborn to receive the inheritance was an unquestioned feature of society. But it also meant that there was a lot of grasping and a lot of people attempting to use or abuse that to get whatever they wanted. So you see God subverting this all over the place. In the story of Cain and Abel, if you read it closely, Cain is the firstborn, but it is Abel whose sacrifice is received, accepted, blessed by God. And it may well be because he offered the first fruits, the best of what he had. But what's real clear is Cain's the firstborn, but Abel is the one who's in the favored position. And then when we come to the story of Noah, Noah has three sons. The oldest is Japheth, but it's um, the younger son, uh, Shem, who is told by God that God will dwell in his tents and Israel will come out of the line of uh, Shem, not of, out of the oldest one. And then Abram comes along, who will be known as Abraham, the father of many nations. And he has an older son, Ishmael, but the blessing doesn't flow through Ishmael. It will come through the second son, Isaac. And then Isaac marries Rachel, and he has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And here we see this theme of the firstborn really come out. Uh, Esau is the firstborn. Jacob is his twin, grasping for his heel. I want to be first. I want to get everything that I can. And the story of Jacob is somebody who is clutching to try to manipulate his way into a blessing that God intends to give to him anyway. And Jacob is a mess. Uh, he falls in love with a woman named Rachel, but here we see another uh, uh, instance of the law of the firstborn at work. It's actually Leah who is the firstborn. So Jacob asks uh, Laban for the hand of his daughter in marriage, and Laban says, yeah, but he gives Jacob Leah, because around here, we don't marry off our secondborn till we've married off our firstborn. So Jacob himself is now deceived. And then Jacob has four sons by the unloved wife, Leah, before he finally has uh, any sons by the wife that he loves, Rachel. And it's Joseph who is the firstborn of Rachel that uh, is Jacob's favorite. And again, that theme of favoritism in the family in the book of Genesis over and over and over again, and in families in our day as well, is so incredibly destructive. What's interesting is God is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Joseph. The story is a lot about Joseph, but if you read carefully, um, the, the blessing, the patriarchy doesn't go to Joseph. It actually flows through Judah. And Judah is actually the fourth born, the youngest, the lowest status son of the un, 
loved wife, Leah. God is subverting the right of the firstborn. Human power structures that we assume that we can manipulate to get what it is that we want. God is saying, nope, nope, you're not going to be able to do that. Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He brings them before Jacob for Jacob to bless them so that Jacob will put his right hand on the older son. But Jacob deliberately crosses his hand, gives a cross-handed blessing to give his best blessing to the younger son. Aaron is the older brother, but Moses is the one that will lead the children of Israel. If you remember the story of David, there's actually seven boys that go before the prophet Samuel. Samuel also is the younger son, not the older son. And then uh, David is the eighth son of Jesse. But God says to Samuel, I do not see the way that other people see. People look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And it is the eighth son, David, who will become the king of Israel. And then there'll be Solomon. Solomon also is not the oldest son. Over and over and over, this theme keeps coming through where human assumptions about who has the right to the good life and how can I use my power and my privilege to get what it is that I want are being subverted. And then the guys in the Bible Project talk about this in wonderful ways. You might think, okay, I get it. Um, God is against the firstborn ixne on the Erstfe Orn Bay, but then Jesus comes along and he is called several times by Paul. He is uh, the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the firstborn, but here we see someone who doesn't use that prerogative, his power and his privilege for his own self, but he pours himself out and is constantly looking for those who are poor, for those who are oppressed, for those who are disregarded, for the prisoner to be able to love them. And he takes on their burden and he humbles himself to become a servant, like the least of all, says you will find me in the least of all, dies a humiliating death on the cross. The firstborn, the first has become last, see. So the idea is that whatever blessing God has given to you, you see, how can I use that not for my own sake, but to bless other people? Fairness is not just um, treating people equally. It is seeing the worth in people and asking, how can I acknowledge that? So how do you do that today? Who are you likely to overlook? Honestly, has there been any favoritism in your family with siblings or with children if you have kids or with people at the workplace? Do you have any amends that you need to make? I, I know of families where that's gone on and it's never gotten named, it's never gotten apologized for. Sometimes people feel terrible guilt around it, um, but they never say it. And if there's healing that's needed, if you need to go to somebody and say, I haven't treated you right, um, do that today. And then just ask, who am I likely to overlook? Do I tend to favor people who are richer or people who look more beautiful? I was getting coffee early, early this morning, and um, the young woman who was behind the counter was probably pretty early on the job, was a little slow, didn't quite know what she was doing. And all of a sudden, I had this thought, if that was my daughter standing behind the counter, I would want whoever is in line here to be really, really nice to her and to look her right in the eye. And to give her dignity and treat her with respect and have a little fun and give, you know, um, that's to be deeply fair. And that's what we're called to do. So today, 
be a person of justice, be somebody who recognizes the worth, the value, the image of God in each person that you see. Um, last thought, this is especially for my friend Kevin. In the book of Hebrews, there's a wonderful line where it talks about the church as being the gathering or the assembly or the church of the firstborn. And the idea there is now we are all people who belong to Jesus. He's the firstborn who gave himself out in humble generosity, in justice and fairness to us all. So that's what we're doing for each other. Change is coming today. So take advantage of it because our days are no. Hey, it's Tim. I'm the producer here at Become New. I wanted to let you know, if you'd like more resources or teaching from John, you can find it at our website, becomenew.com. Also, if you'd like to receive a text alert or the daily email that goes along with each video, let us know at becomenew.com slash subscribe. Lastly, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. There's a group of us who meet each weekday, Monday through Friday, to pray over requests that are sent in from listeners. And so you can text us your prayer requests at the number 855-888-0444. We'll catch you next time.